I have a lot of scripture to read at the beginning of this message this morning. We're going to talk about our blessed hope because it's almost midnight, isn't it? You say, preacher, you're crazy. It's not even noon yet. Well, (laughs) still, it's almost midnight, folks, on God's time clock, and the midnight cry is going to come. We're going to look at four different texts to introduce this message, and the first one we're going to read is 2 Peter Chapter 3, these are verses that we should be familiar with, especially after covering Second Peter on Wednesday nights just recently, and I think I've mentioned these in a message not too very long ago. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And then from Titus, the second chapter, beginning in verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And then finally, again, some very familiar verses of Scripture, some that we read just, or referred to just last Sunday morning, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if, or since, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Preacher, why are you talking so much about the second coming of Christ? Well, you just look at the world, and you look at the Lord's churches, and folks both are in the condition that tell us that Jesus and His second coming are very, very near. But today we're going to look at what happens when He comes. You know, we've got some things that are going to happen, and we need to be informed of them. We need to share them with others. There's a lot of folks right now just spending a lot of time and energy and effort and feverishly preparing to celebrate the Lord's first coming into this world. But He's coming back. In fact, as I thought about this message, it gave me something else to put on the sign. And it's going to say one of these days, he came then, he's coming again. Okay, (laughs) 
We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas and talk about the baby in the manger. But folks, the baby in the manger grew to be the Christ of the cross and he died there that we might be saved. The second coming of Christ has been the subject of thousands of songs and possibly hundreds of thousands of sermons. Millions of saved people have believed throughout the ages that there would be a time called the last days. And I believe we are living in the last days and that the last days would culminate with the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. We need to remember that. That's the hope of believers. You know, the only thing that is going to save this world is the return of Jesus Christ. We ought to understand that. And see... Believers throughout the ages have looked forward to that. If you just look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, even the Apostle Paul, who was living in the days immediately following the crucifixion of Christ, looked for his return. What did he say in 1 Thessalonians 4? We which are alive and remain shall be caught up. So I believe Paul expected to go in the rapture. I've said this before. I've said this lots of times before. But I believe there were two things that had a great effect on this man Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus, he saw the glory of the risen Christ, greater, brighter than the noonday sun. And he expected Jesus to come back in his lifetime. I tell you what, if God's people today would do that, if we could get a glimpse, and we do in the word of God, a glimpse of the glory of the risen Christ, and if we would actually believe in our hearts that Jesus could come back today, it would make a difference in our life and in our church life, folks. Not everybody has the hope of going with Jesus when he comes again. Not everybody will believe this message. There'll be people, if they watch it on live stream or if they happen to find it, either on our Facebook page or group or in the podcast, there'll be people who will scoff at the idea of Jesus Christ coming again. And they rank people who believe what the Bible says about the coming of Christ sort of as hucksters, you know, as, as charlatans, as people who just want to scam other people. But you know what? The Word of God says that's the spirit that will prevail in the last days. In fact, we read, I'm going to go back there for just a moment. Those of you who have my notes, it's not, this is not in there. <laughs> so you know how that works, right? But listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said that, that we're not to be thrown off by that, by the scoffing of others. Verse 3 of 2 Peter 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So there are those, and we're seeing them today, who make fun of people like us, who scoff at people like us, who simply believe the Word of God. But folks, this is a Baptist church. Boy, that was weak, you know. <laughs> I'm going to try that one again. Folks, this is a Baptist church. Thank you very much for that. I was wondering where I was for just a moment. And true Baptists believe the Bible... We believe that the Bible is our authority in matters of faith and practice and we believe what we should do is come together in a situation like this, a, a setting like this, and we should open the Bible and hear what God's Word has to say to His people. Amen. And that's exactly what we're doing this morning. I've talked about the many different indicators we have that we're in the last days. You realize that today we are seeing 
and hearing things. I started to say 40 or 50 years ago, we wouldn't have imagined, but folks, 20 or 30 years ago, 10 years ago, we are seeing things happening. We are hearing people say things. We are seeing things promoted in our nation that 10 years ago we'd have said impossible. That will not happen in America. I never would have believed our nation would be in the condition that it is in today. A man named Joel Rosenberg said this, to truly understand the significance of global events and trends, one must analyze them through the lens of Scripture. Only then can the full picture be clearer. The only way to look at this world is through the Word of God. You know, there are three kinds of people in this world. There are people who are afraid today. And there are people who don't know enough to be afraid. And then there are people that know the Bible. And that's the kind of people that we are supposed to be. You know what I believe we're seeing today? I believe we're seeing what the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 12, talks about when we read this. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. I believe Satan is getting more and more active. No, I don't believe it. I know it. We see it. He's getting more and more active in this world today. I believe he knows he has but a short time before his rule and reign as God of this world ends. And so he's doing his best to turn as many away from God and as many away from Christ as he can. And I have a lot of other thoughts on that, but I can't share them right now. I don't have time, all right? But sadly, some of God's people react in fear. They look at what's going on in the world. You know, I've said not long ago, back when COVID reared its head, oh, I had a lot of questions. Is, is, is this it? Is this the end? You know, I said, well, the Antichrist hadn't shown up yet, so I think we're okay right now. This is just something that, well, I believe it was created, <laughs> a created disease, but whether what you believe and what I believe about it is insignificant. But I had a lot of questions about that. And I said, I just believe that this is a test run to see what's going to happen. But there are many that get afraid. There are many that get discouraged. They see the present lack of love for God and they see the present lack of love for our nation. And so they just get down. I'm glad we started out with the song that we started out with. I'm happy today. The sun shines bright. Listen, I don't care how dark it is. I don't care what time of the day. Do you realize the sun's always shining? It may be night here, but it's shining on the other side of the world. We may wake up with a cloudy day, but you can get in a plane and fly up above the clouds, and you know what you're going to see? You're going to see the sun shining. The sun is always shining, and today we can find comfort, and we can find hope knowing that God's timetable is right on course. You know, when Jesus came the first time, the Scripture says that in the fullness of the time, you know what that says? That's in Galatians chapter 4. You know what it means? At just the right time. Jesus did not come one second too early. He did not come one second too late. And when he comes again, it will not be one second too early and it will not be one second too late. He's going to come right on time. And the book of Titus chapter 2 verse 13 calls that our blessed hope. It's the hope of being in heaven with the Lord. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof you have heard before the word of the truth 
of the gospel. What did he say is laid up for us in heaven? Our hope, our expectation. And it's based on what we have learned from the scriptures. And you know what 2 Peter 1 calls the scriptures? A more sure word of prophecy. You can trust the Bible. You can believe the Bible. We know that. Now, I don't really care what the politicians say. When I go to vote, I vote my conscience, all right? I don't care what somebody professes to be. And half the time, no more than that, I don't believe what they say. And I don't care what the politicians say and what their opinion is. What I want to know and what we should want to know is what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible instruct me to do about this? And that's what we're going to look at this morning very quickly. First of all, we have the assertion of the rapture. What do you mean the assertion of the rapture? Well, there's over 300 references in the New Testament alone to the Lord's return. And many of those references have to do with the catching away or the rapture of the saved. It's a frequent promise in the Bible. The catching away of the saved, the rapture is a sure promise. We read in Titus chapter 2 that it's something that we're looking for. Listen to Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. For our conversation, that word conversation is citizenship. If you're a child of God, you've got a dual citizenship. You're a citizen, I suppose, of this country, but you're also a citizen of heaven. For our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The word of God says the coming of Christ for the saved is not just a possibility, it is a certainty. He is coming back. The Apostle John prayed, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We read in the Word of God about the coming, the sure promise of the coming of Christ. But don't get like the man who'd spend a lot of time reading information about the link between smoking and cancer. He said, I finally decided to give it up. Somebody said, what, smoking? He said, no, reading. Think about that. You'll get it in a moment. Don't quit reading the Bible because the thought of the Lord coming back scares you or, or causes you discomfort. It is a certainty. It's not only a sure promise, it's a securing promise. Listen to John chapter 14. I love these verses. And I could just spend a long time on just these verses alone. John chapter 14 verse 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now here's what he's saying. Don't let your heart be filled with anxiety, child of God. You believe in God. You believe I'm God. Hey, don't let you, I'm going to make a promise to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. He said, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will. Okay, that's certainty. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Tonight, this church... Members of this church are going to observe the Lord's Supper together. And do you know what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about this supper? He said, For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death, what? Till he come. 
It's a sure promise. It's a securing promise. When we observe the Lord's Supper, you know what we're doing? We're looking back to his death. We're picturing in the unleavened bread and we're picturing in the fruit of the vine the, the battered, bruised, broken body of the Lord Jesus. But we're not just looking back at his death. We're looking forward. Because as often as we do it, the scripture says we are showing his death with the anticipation of his coming again, all right? Matthew 26, verse 29, when Jesus instituted this supper, he said, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until what? Until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. His coming is a frequent promise. It's sure, it's securing, and it is something God wants us to think about and to live in light in. Do you think? know that I think that most of God's people don't live in light of the coming of Christ. Otherwise, we wouldn't do some of the things we do. We wouldn't say some of the things we say. We wouldn't think some of the things we think. We wouldn't go some of the places that we go. How would you like on a Sunday morning about oh, 11 o'clock to be out on the lake or at the golf course or I guess malls are still working at the mall I want to include everybody. And Jesus comes back. Listen, when it's time for the Lord's church to meet, I want to be present with that church meeting with the Lord's church. So God wants us to live in light of it. But it's also a factual promise. There are many facts about the subject of the rapture and the passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we read is one of my favorites. A lot of times you hear it read at funerals. Don't wait till then to enjoy that passage, okay? I don't want you to wait till then. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, there are six facts that are given concerning the rapture of the saved. Listen to this. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. All right? We like to shout around here when we see this word shout. The Lord's coming back with a shout. Acts chapter 1, verse 11, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, what did those men in white apparel, which I think were angels that were standing by say, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. You know what the angel said? He's coming back, okay? And when he comes, he's coming with the shout of the Lord. Now what's the Lord going to shout? I don't know. He stood outside the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. Here came Lazarus. One preacher suggested Lazarus came out singing, Glory to his name. <laughs> I don't know if that happened or not. You know, he might have to shout to some of us, Wake up! Okay? But he's coming with a shout of the Lord. Listen to this one. We will hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. I just go around listening for the trumpet, folks. I just live listening for the trumpet. One night, many years ago, we had a little car that had a moonroof in it. And we had the moonroof open. I always called that my rapture roof in case I'm driving and the Lord returns, you know. And uh, a meteor or something flashed, this, and there's a big flash of light in the sky, and I thought, this is it. Well, it wasn't, but it's going to be one of these days. But we'll hear the voice of the archangel. We'll hear God's trumpet. Verse 16 says that those who have passed on before us will rise first. We all have, probably all have someone that we know, that we love, that has gone on to be with the Lord. Guess what? They're going to go. And they're going to go first. They get to rise first. 
And then in verse 17, he says, we which are alive and remain will be caught up. If you know Christ as Savior, you're going to be caught up to go with the saved into the presence of the Lord. Verse 17 says, we will meet the Lord in the air. Can you imagine that? Think about it. Brother Truman said something this morning about, I guess being a little bit jealous maybe, of Adam and Eve getting to walk and talk with God in the Garden of Eden. We're going to get to meet the Savior. In the air, the one who died for us. And then verse 17 says, we will ever be with the Lord. What a fantastic, what fantastic, six fantastic promises those are, folks. Ought to make you say, woo! Okay. Look what God is doing. And so we see the promise of the rapture is very definitely given in the scriptures. There's the assertion of the rapture. But then there's the assurance of the rapture. What's the assurance of the rapture? It's called the blessed hope. Why is it called the blessed hope? Because it's in Jesus. And because Jesus provides comfort to all believers. You know what he said one time? He said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. He said, my peace I give unto you. My peace I leave with you. Listen, if you're a child of God, you can have peace even in this world. Amen. With all the things that are going on. And that ought to provide us comfort. The last three and a half years of the Antichrist rule are known as the Great Tribulation. Folks, we're not going to have to go through that. And that ought to give us some comfort. That ought to give us some strength. God has promised to spare his children and he has fulfilled this hope. He's given us this hope. The word hope means what? Glad expectation. It's not an iffy thing. It's something we expect to happen. And listen, it's an imminent hope. It's an imminent hope. Do you realize there's nothing else that needs to be done in this world for Jesus to come back. Amen. The gospel has been preached throughout all the world. And even if someone to say it hasn't, listen, I just have a little old podcast. Nobody knows me. Nobody likes to listen to, to this preacher too much. And so I've got this little podcast. I've had it for the last 11 years. And I've had people listen to it from Russia and from China and from places. I just recently had some from down in Africa. Hey, folks. The gospel's going throughout the world today. Nothing else needs to be done for Jesus to return. And if you study the book of Revelation, here's something else you'll notice. That after the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, or after the third chapter, actually beginning with chapter four, churches are not mentioned. Churches are not mentioned. Now the first three chapters, we find the seven churches of Asia mentioned. In chapters two and three, we have the Lord's message to those churches or messages to each of those churches, seven churches, seven messages, and all seven of those are applicable to us today, by the way. But we have the Lord's message to his churches. You get to chapter 4 through verse 18. What do you see? We see God's judgments. We see God's warnings. We don't see anything about churches. And we read about the judgments that he gives that primarily are intended to bring the Jews to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't find churches. Why? Because I believe the Lord's churches, the saved people are going to be taken out of here at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to come and keep us from the hour of temptation. Listen to what Revelation chapter 3 beginning in verse 10 says, because thou hast, he's writing in Revelation chapter 3 to the church at Philadelphia. The church at Philadelphia was a faithful church. The Lord said, I've set before you an open door. If I've set before you an open door, no man can close it. 
If I close it, no man can open it. So the Lord gave them a work to do. They were faithful to do it. And he says to this church, and it applies to us today, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, see, sometimes it's important to know what is said and what is not said in the scripture. Now, what he does not say is, I will keep you during the hour of temptation. Well, that would indicate we might have to go through the time of tribulation. What he says is, I'm going to keep you from that hour of temptation. That means we don't have to go through it. Jesus is going to come and he's going to take us out of here before somehow adjacent. I don't have it figured out. And if I did, you shouldn't believe me if I told you I did. But somehow adjacent to the appearing of the Antichrist, the Lord Jesus is going to come. And if the Lord's coming is near, and we believe it is, you know what that means? That means the Antichrist is probably alive on this earth right now. Who is he? I don't know. The scripture tells us some things about him, but I have no idea who he is. But Jesus said there in Revelation Chapter 3, in verse 11, he said, Behold, I come quickly, and the thought of imminence is in that. Behold, I come quickly, I'm coming soon. And that's a promise to the Lord's churches. Isn't that great? It's also an inspirational hope. The thought, the hope of Jesus coming again ought to inspire us as God's people. There's nothing like this hope to encourage the heart of a child of God. I've told you one of the things that I, I don't fear death. One of the things I fear about it is just leaving my family. And we all have that concern, that fear. And so a lot of times I just pray, and I don't think it's selfish. Maybe it is. But I just pray, Lord, just go ahead and take us all out right now. Come back. Rapture us and let us all come into your presence together. But there's nothing like this hope to encourage the child of God. Think of the thousands of songs that have been written. We shall see Jesus. Wow. What about this one? I love this one. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? I may get the words wrong, but when in glory, I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Face to face with the Lord Jesus. A lot of people say, well, when I go to heaven, I'm going to look up so and so, and I'm going to look up. You know the first person you're going to see, and the first person you're going to want to see is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who died for you that you might have everlasting life. The midnight cry that we just heard. How about this one? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. When the roll is called up yonder, and I hope you can sing that and mean it. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. As I said earlier, many hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of messages that have been preached about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ ought to comfort us and the coming of Christ ought to inspire us as God's people. Amen. At least three reasons. Because first of all, because of the rapture, not every one of us is going to have to face death. Behold, I show you a mystery. This was 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. The word sleep here is a reference to death. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's a wonderful thought. Can you imagine just one day hearing the trumpet sound and the voice of the archangel and the shout of the Lord and putting off this stuff? 
You know what my biggest problem is as a child of God? It's this right here. You know? This flesh, it wants to do things. It wants to think things. And, and it doesn't always want to serve God. And one of these days, we're going to put it off. And we don't have to face death. I pastored a man, and I'm, like, I'm going to name him because he was a wonderful man, Brother Nye Morton. And Brother Nye's gone on to be with the Lord. But here's what he used to say. He said, I'm not going by the undertaker. I'm going by the upper taker. <laughs> and that's what we ought to look forward to, folks. I don't think it's sinful to hope and to pray that you'll be raptured out. Number two, because we'll see Jesus. You know, I, what do you say about that? We'll see Jesus. We'll behold him face to face. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. What? For we shall see him as he is. Come into the presence of the Lord Jesus. See him as he is. What glory that's going to be. We like to sing. I said face to face with Christ my Savior. We like to sing that song. I like to sing that song. It's a beautiful song reminding us that one of these days we're going to meet him. And then number three, because we'll receive that glorified body. We read 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. I'm going to read it again. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. And the twinkling, that word twinkling, by the way, is the blink of an eye. And once upon a time, I knew how quickly some, nan some so many nanoseconds that the blink of an eye is so fast, you know, it's... It's one of those involuntary reflexes. You blink and you don't even know it. That's how fast the coming of the Lord is going to be. When he comes, there won't be time to say, wait a minute, Lord, I want to be saved. No. Whatever state we're in when he comes, folks, that's what we're going to be in. That's why it's so important to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior today. In a moment, in the twinkling or blink of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. You can't go into heaven in this body, right? And this mortal must put on immortality. If you haven't noticed it, we have corruptible bodies. And for those that are younger than me and many of us, if you haven't noticed it, you will. Just wait. Seems like the older you get, the more things they find wrong with you. But we have corruptible bodies. We have bodies that are filled with sin. One of these days, we're going to put them off. We're going to have that glorified body, that incorruptible body that the Lord Jesus has. And so scriptures are full of the promises of his coming again. There's the assertion. There's the uh, awareness of the Lord's coming. And then there is the anticipation of the rapture of the child of God. Now, when I speak of anticipation, I'm talking about it's something you have to get ready for. You know, if you're going on a trip... Now, some people do this. I know they call themselves impulsive and just decide to go on a trip. They don't pack anything. They don't make any plans. They just jump in the car, on a plane, whatever, and go. But, Miss Wilma, did y'all pack and make plans for your trip? Oh, yeah. Well, I figured they were smart enough to do that, right? <laughs> you better make plans for the coming of Christ. You better make plans for the rapture of the saved. Many are not going to be prepared. They're not going to be saved. Jesus is going to come back. See, I liken, there's two different words I like to use here. Prepared, that means you're saved. 
and ready. And I tell people years ago, we pastored way over to the east, and it was about a three, three and a half hour drive, something like that, to come visit. And we'd come back home and see family and, and friends, and it came time to go back. Well, we were prepared. We had the bags packed and had the bags in the car. But you know what? I wasn't really ready because I was with my family, and I didn't want to leave and, and go back. Some folks are not prepared. Some folks are prepared, but they're not ready. Now, the folks that aren't prepared, listen to what the Word of God says, 2 Thessalonians 2.11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And very literally that says the lie, talking about the lie of the Antichrist, that they all might be damned or condemned or judged unworthy who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Some who reject Jesus now will one day be some of the strongest proponents of the Antichrist. Preacher, I wouldn't do that. Just wait. You'll believe his lie. That's what the Word of God says. Either the Word of God's right or wrong. And it's right. And we know it's not God's will that anybody should be left behind. That's what we read in 2 Peter. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, and I put this on my Facebook. I didn't put it on the church's page or group, but I put it on my personal because I think this is pretty accurate. God loves you too much to force you to go to heaven if you don't want to go. Amen. If somebody doesn't believe God, don't want to believe God, I'll look straight at the camera and say that God loves you too much to force you into his heaven if you don't want to go. People say, well, God sends men to hell. No, he doesn't. Men choose to go to hell. I mentioned Wednesday night. God has done absolutely everything that he can do to keep people out of hell. And men, women, boys, and girls still choose to reject what God has done and to die without the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not God's desire. So how do you prepare for the rapture? Well, I've already mentioned one of them. If you're unsaved, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. He's talking about being born from above. He's talking about that new birth, that second birth, where we come to know Jesus Christ the Savior. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, For if we believe, or since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. He's talking to saved people. He's talking about saved people right here. No one can make you believe, make you trust in Jesus. I can preach if I had the ability. I question my ability to preach this kind of message, but God would give me the ability. But, you know, I could preach the most heart-rending, convicting, whatever else you want to use to describe it, message that has ever been heard on the face of the earth. But if you want to reject Jesus Christ as Savior, you'll do it. Nobody can make you trust Jesus. God, by His Holy Spirit, can turn a lost person's heart to Christ. We call that the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if, whether someone here or someone by way of live stream, if God's doing that to you right now, I encourage you to listen to God. Listen to the leadership of His Holy Spirit and trust Christ as your Savior today because you will have no hope for the rapture until you have Jesus as your Savior. Now this is not a Baptist denominational message, okay? 
People say, well, that's the Baptist way to be saved. There's no such thing as the Baptist way to be saved. There is the Bible way to be saved, which Baptists have preached throughout the ages. True Baptists have preached it throughout the ages. But it's not the Baptist way, it's the Bible way. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. And one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13 calls Jesus the great God and even our Savior, Jesus Christ. John 11.25 at the tomb of Lazarus. What did Jesus say to Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. And he said, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today, right? He lives. We sing that song. Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6. The women came to the tomb to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. And they were told by the angel, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified or which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. 1 Corinthians 15, the first three or four verses tells us that this preaching of the risen Savior, the resurrected Jesus, is a part of the gospel, that he was crucified, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. And we know, according to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, there's one thing it's impossible for God to do. And what is that? God can't lie. Somebody said, well, he could if he wanted to. God can't even want to lie. That's how pure, that's how holy God is. Now, Jesus is God. You believe in God, believe also in me. You believe God, trust God, trust me. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus promised to save all that came to him. And Jesus promised to come back and to get the saved. And that's how we know that he's coming back. You can go to the gravesite of Buddha. You can go to the gravesite of Muhammad. But you can go to Jerusalem, and you know what you're going to find in Jerusalem? You're going to find an empty tomb. I have stood outside an empty tomb. Some say it's the tomb that Jesus was buried in. I don't know whether it was or not. They give some good evidence and, and so forth, but I don't know for certain. But you know what I do know? According to the Word of God, that if that wasn't the tomb, there's one just like it over there that's just as empty as that tomb was. I've walked inside that tomb. There's an empty tomb there in Jerusalem. You won't find the burial site of Jesus. If you want eternal life, if you want to be ready for the rapture, accept Christ as Savior. Now, right quickly to the saved. We're ready. We need to be, uh, we need to be and I mean, we're prepared. We need to be ready. So what do you do? Well, first of all, you prepare. You get ready through sanctification. What is sanctification? It's living a life that's set apart to God. Living a life that's set apart to Christ. It includes the confession of sins when we sin against God. It includes repentance for those sins. It involves living what we call a clean life. Knowing that Jesus is coming again ought to do something about our everyday living. Again, I go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now with the sons of God, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Listen to verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. What does it say? If you have the hope of Jesus coming again, you need to purify your life. You will purify your life if you have that hope. 
You don't want to be found unfaithful. 1 John 2, 28, Now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before he met his coming. Can you imagine being ashamed before the Lord when he comes? Man, I don't want to be found doing something I shouldn't do, saying something I shouldn't say, thinking something I shouldn't think, being somewhere that I shouldn't be when the Lord returns. I think I would be ashamed. That's what the Word of God seems to say. If you're saved, purify your heart, purify your life. Repent of your sins that you've committed. Do save people's sin? We certainly do. Hey, to preach your sin, you better believe it. Okay? Uh, I'm going to leave that alone. I'm not going to say anything else from right there. Okay? Brother Tremont and I like to pick on preachers. I won't pick on him. He won't pick on me. But there's a whole world of them out there we can pick on, right? Repent of your sins, child of God. Get right with God. And if you're saved, prepare for the rapture. Get ready for the rapture through steadfastness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us cons- it's talking about the being ready for the last days. And I'll show you why. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and what? And so much the more as you see the day approaching as we get closer and closer and closer to the coming Christ. You know what we're supposed to be doing as a church and as members of this church? Meeting together more and more and more. More faithful to assemble together. Not saying, well, we don't want to meet. We don't want to go to church. We're supposed to be attending church, worshiping God. Large churches are to be an assembly where His Word is open and His Word is studied together to encourage and enrich us through the preaching of His Word. And God's saying, if you really believe Jesus is my Son, you'll assemble together. You'll come together. You won't be skipping out on the assembly. And verse 25, like I said, it says it's more necessary the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. Why? Because there's a delusion. Don't you see it in the world? There's a delusion in the world. Our young people, our teenagers are being deluded. They think being a TikTok or a YouTube star or something like that, boy, that's the pinnacle. And I'm, no. They think Hollywood's fame and fortune is the apex of what to know. The greatest thing that a child of God can do is just to live for Jesus Christ in this world. Amen. And because there's coming a falling away, and the scripture talks about that, we read about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 not too long ago. Folks, we see it in churches. I'm not talking about people not attending. I'm talking about churches not standing for the truth and preaching messages like this one. And I'm getting ready to close, but let me give you this thought. I had to write it down so I wouldn't forget it. Today, you are one day closer to the Lord's return than you were yesterday. And you'll be a day closer tomorrow, and you'll be a day closer the next day, and you'll be a day closer the next day. The Lord's going to keep his promise, and he's going to come back. Jesus is coming, and folks, that ought to bring some comfort to our hearts. God's people have always been a minority in this earth, in this world, but I think more so today than we've ever been before. But when he comes, he's only coming for those that are his. I wanted to do a little visual this morning, and I just couldn't get it to work because I didn't have a strong enough magnet. But if I were to place a table right here and put several items on it, 
some plastic, some metal, some different sorts of metal and so forth. And I were to wave this magnet over that table, only those that had the nature to be attracted by that magnet would come up and attach to the magnet. That's the rapture. Only those that have the nature to be attracted to the Lord Jesus are going to go at the rapture. And it's going to be that way when Jesus comes. Some will be caught up, some will be left. And here's the key to going and being with the Lord. Number one, make sure you know Him as Savior. Make sure you know in your heart with a certainty, yes, there was a time that I realized I was a sinner separated from God and that I turned, that's repentance, I turned to God and asked Him to save me trusting only the shed blood of Jesus Christ, what Jesus did on the cross. If you'll do that, you'll be saved. Make sure you did that if you profess to be a child of God. You say, could somebody profess to be a child of God and not be saved? Well, certainly. The very first church had a perfect pastor. I keep reminding you, you don't have a perfect pastor. First church had a perfect pastor. His name was Jesus and had at least one unsaved church member. His name was Judas Iscariot. Jesus said, have I not called 12 of you and one of you is a demon or a devil. So if a lost person can get into the church with the perfect pastor, lost people can get into churches with imperfect pastors. And we need to check our salvation. Be sure, be certain. And if you've never trusted Christ, it, I, I just plead with you. Accept him today. Don't put it off. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. 